Hello and welcome to another episode on Spiritual Advice from a Barbarian Lunatic. This is episode number six. Complicating what is. And it's very strange how I push myself to new limits and at the moment I still have some weed and I have time and I'm restless and I want to do something and the worst I could do now was just sit around and wait or do nothing <clears throat> right so the best way I can do this is by figuring out what I want to do at the moment and get down to doing it. Because for whatever reason, right now I cannot just write books. And now that I start talking about it, I also realize something which was true when I was writing the Book of Fear, right? I didn't just write the book. It took me a year. But in that year I had my podcast and my YouTube channel... Yeah, not so much YouTube, but just my podcast to figure out what I had experienced and to simply keep talking about what I appeared to label as truth. And so I got to understand that there are certain things that help me to push through, right? It's just simple as that. There are things that really help me to push through. And one of them is cannabis. So when I have cannabis and I'm flying, right, I keep like working with certain topics. Then as long as I have the cannabis and I feel like smoking it, I'm going to do it. And that's the same approach I take with chape or coffee or basically anything else. Right? If I have sugar at home, I'm going to eat sugar. At the cost of possibly having bad breath. But if I have bad breath while I'm talking to the microphone, then I have the feeling that I can talk freely to other people. And now I have a certain relationship to certain people that work in the cinema. And I feel like I owe it to them to sometimes go there because I met them and I liked them. And sometimes people are overly complicated in having normal relationships with one another. And I seem to be one of them because I have trouble to maintain the boundaries to everyone else. Well, that's basically my job, right? I'm setting boundaries and I'm opening up other possibilities. But that only works if the person or the people that I engage with are also open to changing the way that their life has been going so far. And one thing that's helping me to stay in bliss is rolling joints. And the interesting thing is, 
I have rolled these joints before where I take two single papers and merge them into one long paper. And it worked. And now I'm getting the hang of it. But although I have managed already to do it, today I woke up and I started doing it and I had the feeling it doesn't work anymore. Which is a weird thing to realize because you know you've done it before and now you're trying again and you're realizing why doesn't it work? And that now brings me to the topic complicating what is. Which means to say, you know, I have experiences where I was at the age of, let's say, 14 and we were at some kind of holiday resort and they were offering bow shooting. And I had a similar experience when I was going golfing for the first time. And the experience I had was that sometimes I do things that work well the first couple of times I'm doing them. But as I keep doing them, you know, sometimes I'm getting worse. And then I let things rest a little. And then suddenly I get better. And I would say that goes the same for engaging with other people. You know, sometimes you have to let people rest for some time until you approach them again. Well, then the question is whether or not to approach them at all, because, you know, if you were important to them and they would be willing to work for being with you, then you should also leave it up to them sometimes to, um, to complicate your life. Because I'm making life complicated for some people sometimes. Sometimes people make life complicated for me. And sometimes they realize the reason they've been complicating my life is because they thought their life was complicated. Or they weren't able to manage their own life. So how much do I help you and how much do I help myself? Because I would say basically anything is complicated until you've understood it enough to simplify it. And then you're trying to simplify it and break it down onto it's like this and then you realize I actually have no idea how it is. You know, I may make up some stories about why people do things and I might feel like I see them from a distance. But the truth is... However real telepathy feels, it's still so distant that, you know, I can't just look you in the face. And that's creating this need for engaging through the telephone, but only because people are insecure about it. And so they want closure and they want to hear that you're alive or something or that you're doing good or whatever. Otherwise, they worry because they fail to see you from a distance. And then you reach out to them. 
And I have the feeling I can do this, but... I'm also doing it because I myself want it. Right? I never reach out to people I don't want to reach out to. I reach out to people who I know are fighters and that are fighting and that maybe have a lot to do. Because I would have, if I would have three children and a wife, right, and would have to earn money for them, I would probably be in a completely different position. So I'm now in this peculiar position of having a lot of time and choosing myself how to fill it. And that keeps me creative because if I stop, you know, I have to work in some way. And as long as I keep working like this, I make sure that I earn the right to accept my parents' gift or payment with this apartment, whatever. Better probably to consider it a gift, otherwise it's like, yeah. And therefore, I can deal with these situations much better. Because I have time to actually feel what I feel and even understand how other people feel. And then I can realize why it's so complicated. Well, because there's a misunderstanding of some sort, you know. Some people think when I'm nice that I want sex, but I just want to be nice. Sometimes I don't know where the boundaries are and then I realize by now, oh, I think if I'm too nice they think I want sex and then I you know, have to set up boundaries again because apparently they were being dissolved a little. Or maybe my boundaries are very firm and people are still getting to get into that. Because maybe they want a piece of whoever I am. Alright, so... What was this episode called again? Complicating what is. I knew it actually. I just wanted to seem a bit confused. You know, sometimes I, I just... I seem a bit confused to people, but I feel like I know what's going on because I know how to deal with my own madness. And that make, makes it fun then to be a bit mad when people realize, oh wow, like... I have the feeling I know what he's doing. I don't really understand what he says, but whatever he's doing seems to make sense to him at least. Because he keeps doing it, right? Maybe there's a benefit of trying to understand what he's trying to say. So today I posted an image and it's called uh, Is Porn Crime? And the picture speaks for itself. But I have the feeling that if I wouldn't name it, people would like... Say that. Because when I draw the image, I have no idea what it's about. But when it's done, I look at it, I think, what's the name? And then I first want to give it something happy. And then I realize who's gonna, you know, who's gonna benefit from that. Because the reason people watch movies is because, you know, they try to run away from their misery. Which I can do as well today, it seems. Which is nice. But I also go there because I have a purpose and I want to see certain people, right? Which are reluctant to open up to me enough. 
so that I get them to spend time with me. I think people are generally afraid of my presence to be suffocated because they want to stay the way they are. And I am the spirit of change. But whether or not people want it, once they've met me, change will happen to them. Because they can no longer tell themselves that everything's so perfect in their lives and then they actually have to start working on it. Because I'm like a firm boulder, man. If you think you're a tsunami, like, better be prepared for some resistance. Because I may be like the shoreline and you think you're super powerful and when you come to the shore, you're just a wave, right? Maybe every wave thinks, I'm gonna be a tsunami. Then it's like, humble yourself, you know? We can only be a tsunami if we work together. It's like hundreds of waves form a super wave. And each wave, of course, is formed by, you know, single parts of energy. You know, you could call them water molecules. And these molecules then work together. And then, of course, the idea of the fractal is that there's always a smaller and a bigger level. So if you look at yourself and you can look down into it, you get to the root. And the root, of course, is light. And that's what all of it is. But the light is also kind of a vortex, right? That's like dragging you along further and deeper into whatever this is. Because what people already realized by talking about light speed, that light is basically a moving object that's constantly changed because you're not always the same particles of light. You're like, you know, a flickering ray of light. And your light can be suffocated by too much darkness. And that's why I stay away at the moment from places that like inspire me to be dark. Because I'm very vulnerable also when I smoke. And that's why it's good if you have times when you don't smoke, because you don't always want to deal with all these emotional things. Yeah, making chickpea soup. You know, when you realize you can do things on the side, you know that you, you know, you taught yourself well, or you've accepted a lot of teachings. Because I can basically cook and make art and then come back to podcasting and it just feels like, you know, I'm taking a shit or something. You know, it's like, I've done this so many times, it's just habit. And that's, of course, when the relaxation starts. When you start to relax into what you learn to do so well that you just keep doing it and you enjoy it more and more and it's very hard to stop with it. Just give me a second. some things to Instagram but I'm going to leave you something to listen to and I just found a way how to do it which is nice 
super cool, you know. Music is a great tool, but what I feel like listening to now
The author has placed the concepts of analytical psychology, which for many people are so bewildering, on a firm evolutionary basis, and erected upon this a comprehensive structure in which the empirical forms of thought find their rightful place. No system can ever dispense with an overall hypothesis which in its turn depends upon the temperament and subjective assumptions of the author as well as upon objective data. This factor is of the greatest importance in psychology, for the personal equation colors the mode of seeing. Ultimate truth, if there be such a thing, demands the concert of many voices. I can only congratulate the author on his achievement. May this brief forward convey to him my heartfelt thanks. C. G. Jung, March the 1st, 1949. Introduction. The following attempt to outline the archetypal stages in the development of consciousness is based on modern depth psychology. It is an application of the analytical psychology of C.G. Jung, even where we endeavor to amplify this psychology, and even though we may speculatively overstep its boundaries. Unlike other possible and necessary methods of inquiry, which consider the development of consciousness in relation to external environmental factors, our inquiry is more concerned with the internal, psychic, and archetypal factors which determine the course of that development. The structural elements of the collective unconscious are named by Jung archetypes, or primordial images. They are the pictorial forms of the instincts, or the unconscious reveals itself to the conscious mind in images which, as in dreams and fantasies, initiate the process of conscious reaction and assimilation. These fantasy images undoubtedly have their closest analogues in mythological types. We must therefore assume that they correspond to certain collective and not personal structural elements of the human psyche in general, and, like the morphological elements of the human body, are inherited. The archetypal structural elements of the psyche are psychic organs upon whose functioning the well-being of the individual depends and whose injury has disastrous consequences. Moreover, they are the unfailing causes of neurotic and even psychotic disorders behaving exactly like neglected or maltreated physical organs or organic functional systems. It is the task of this book to show that a series of archetypes is a main constituent of mythology, that they stand in an organic relation to one another, and that their stadial succession determines the growth of consciousness. In the course of its ontogenetic development, the individual ego consciousness has to pass through the same archetypal stages which determine the evolution of consciousness in the life of humanity. The individual has, in his own life, to follow the road that humanity has trod before him, leaving traces of its journey in the archetypal sequence of the mythological images we are now about to examine. Normally, the archetypal stages are lived through without disturbance, 
and the development of consciousness proceeds in them just as naturally as physical development proceeds in the stages of bodily maturation. As organs of the psyche structure, the archetypes articulate with one another autonomously, like the physical organs, and determine the maturation of the personality in a manner analogous to the biological hormone components of the physical constitution. Besides possessing an eternal significance, the archetype also has an equally legitimate historical aspect. Ego consciousness evolves by passing through a series of eternal images, and the ego, transformed in the passage, is constantly experiencing a new relation to the archetypes. Its relation to the eternality of the archetypal images is a process of succession in time. That is to say, it takes place in stages. The ability to perceive, to understand, and to interpret these images changes as ego consciousness changes in the course of man's phylogenetic and ontogenetic history. Consequently, the relativity of the eternal image to the evolving ego consciousness becomes more and more pronounced. The archetypes that determine the stages of conscious development form only a segment of archetypal reality as a whole. But by availing ourselves of the evolutionary or synoptic view, we can make out a kind of guiding line running through limitless symbolism of the collective unconscious, which helps us to orient ourselves in the theory and practice of depth psychology. An investigation of the archetypal stages also affords a better psychological orientation in a number of ancillary subjects. For example, the history of religion, anthropology, folk psychology, and the like. All these can then be brought together on a psycho-evolutionary basis, which would promote a deeper understanding. Surprisingly enough, these specialized sciences have not so far allowed themselves to be sufficiently enriched by depth psychology, at least of all by union psychology. In spite of that, the psychological starting point of these disciplines emerges more and more plainly, and it is beginning to become obvious that the human psyche is the source of all cultural and religious phenomena. Hence, a final reckoning with depth psychology cannot be evaded much longer. We must emphasize that our exposition of myth is not based on any specialized branch of science, whether archaeology, comparative religion, or theology, but simply and solely on the practical work of the psychotherapist, whose concern is the psychic background of modern man. The connection between his psychology and the deeper layers of humanity still alive in him is therefore the real starting point and subject of this work. The deductive and systematic method of exposition here adopted may at first obscure the topical and therapeutic significance of our findings. But anyone familiar with psychic events at the deepest level will recognize the importance and relevance of these connections. Detailed illustration by modern empirical material is reserved for later examination. As is well known, the comparative method of analytical psychology 
collects the symbolic and collective material found in individuals with the corresponding products from the history of religion, primitive psychology, and so on, and in this way arrives at an interpretation by establishing the context. This method we now supplement by the evolutionary approach, which considers the material from the standpoint of the stage reached by the developing consciousness, and hence by the ego in its relations with the unconscious. Our work, therefore, links up with that fundamental early work of Jung, the psychology of the unconscious, even though we may be obliged to make certain emanations. Whereas in Freudian psychoanalysis, the evolutionary approach led only to concretistic and narrowly personalistic theories of ego, analytical psychology has so far failed to pursue this line of inquiry any further. The emergence of the collective human background as a transpersonal reality has forced us to recognize the relativity of our own position, the multiplicity of forms and phenomena in which the infinite diversity of the human psyche is expressed, the wealth of cultures, values, patterns of behavior, and worldviews produced by the vitality of man's psychic structure must make any attempt at general orientation seem at the outset of perilous Yet such an attempt has to be made, even with the knowledge that our specifically Western orientation is only one among many. The evolution of consciousness as a form of creative evolution is a peculiar achievement of Western man. Creative evolution of ego consciousness means that through a continuous process stretching over thousands of years, the conscious system has absorbed more and more unconscious contents and progressively extended its frontiers. Although from antiquity right down to recent times, we see a new and differently patterned canon of culture continually superseding the pre- Hey, cheers, man. I just was too lazy. I wanted to stand at the computer, and now I'm stuck. But I think you appreciate the effort. Cheers.